I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Luck has foils in attack positions. Prepare for battle. Autobots, roll out. Get ready. It's your weekly dose of nerd culture. All wings reported. With your crew, Obi John Kenobi. Hello there. Commander Scott. Amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Julian. You tell him I'm coming! And hell's coming with me, you hear? And the Doc. Great Scott! Movies, TV, streaming, video games, comic books, board games, toys, collectibles, cosplay, conventions. If it's happening in the world of geekdom, we're talking about it. So lock and load, bag and board, and roll for initiative. We've got your... Nerd Alert! Hello there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Nerd Alert, a proud member of the Talk Nerdy to Me podcast network. I, of course, am your least favorite host in all of podcasting. I am Commander Scott. Unfortunately, I am completely alone for my, my regular uh, uh, co-hosts are not with me today. Um, Obi-John is, is out uh, uh, apparently trying to save the Republic, you know, from the Separatists. I don't, I don't know why he's doing that, but because we know they lose. Well, actually, technically they win, but they still lose. It's weird, but it's Star Wars. Uh, also, we don't have the doc with us today because, uh, instead of joining us from somewhere in time and space, he is off gallivanting somewhere in time and space because that's what he does. However, we do have a special guest with us today. Um, we are fortunate to have the, the owner and operator of Retrotech, uh, studios. I think I got that right, uh, with us today. Uh, yeah, Steve, Steve, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Commander Scott? I am uh, beautifully magnificent. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on. Yes. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for coming on, and on such short notice, too. I really appreciate it. Um, however, this is this is your first time on a podcast, correct? That is correct. Okay. Well, we need a we need a handle for you. We we need a you know we need a kind of a moniker for you, something to call you. Uh, you know, because I'm Commander Scott. You know, we got Obi John and the Doc are not here tonight, but we need something to call you. What, what can what can we call you? Well, since we're going to be discussing pinball and most things related to pinball on this podcast, um, you know, uh, I could be the King of Pain. That is my email address, and that is pinball related. The King of Paint. Okay, see now, hang on. I'm I'm really curious because I, I've known you for a while, and I've known you. I know you've used this email address, and up until this very moment, I did not know it was pinball related. Well, so the inception of the email address was not pinball related, but there is a character in my favorite pinball machine of all time, Medieval Madness. Um, he is the final boss of that uh, table, and his name is the King of Pain. All righty then. Uh, and, and so, when, when is this from? What 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 year is this game in? Where, where do you... Um, I'm wanting to say Medieval Madness came out in the mid '90s. I couldn't give you a specific date right now. Yeah, but, that's fine. That's fine. 
Yeah, I, I never knew. I knew, I never knew that King of Pain. So okay, we will call you, you know, the King of Pain, and and I can personally vouch that you are the King of Pain because your entire body, head to toe, is covered in tattoos from from uh, from your countless countless uh, bouts of fisticuffs with, uh, with with several people over the years. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> sorry, everybody. It's a little uh, bit of a private joke between us. Um, yeah, it's pretty comical. <laughs> so, so in case you haven't uh, been able to suss this out yet on tonight's episode or today's episode, depending on what time of day you're listening to this, uh, we are going to be talking about pinball machines, and and this is something we've not talked about on this show quite a bit. Or much at all, actually. Um, we've talked about video games. We've talked about board games. We've talked about role-playing games. But we've never talked about pinball games. And uh, and I know a lot of people think it might be, you know, pinball games are somewhat a thing of the past or, or anything. And a little bit they are. But uh, I don't know. I think, I mean, the, the pinball community is, is still alive and well. Machines are still being made. They're still popular. Am I wrong in this assessment? No, you are 100% correct. Um, the biggest manufacturer of pinball machines in the world is Stern Pinball. They uh, just released the Mandalorian pinball machine. Uh, yep, they announced it in May. Tables went into production in June. And uh, they are currently producing those right now. And according to my distributor, who I speak to on a uh, fairly regular basis, he said that um, they are behind, and he is taking pre-orders for all their upcoming runs of tables and pins that they're going to be making. Well, it's the Mandalorian, so they, they, they really can't go wrong with the, the subject matter. I'm sure they, they're, oh, they're probably no. going to sell out of their, their first run of production. I would, I would almost guarantee uh, that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I pre-ordered when they announced, and uh, I've be getting mine sometime next month <laughs> so just to give you an idea that was in may awesome well uh so sometime next month now we're talking so we're, we're, we're looking at late august probably mid to late august, to late I would august. Guess. okay I, I think i can have some room in my house cleared out to store that for you if you need <laughs> okay. if you need some place to, to yeah absolutely <laughs> You know, because I'm I'm running out of room up here in the in the front uh, room of the house. <laughs> um, so uh, pinball games they're fun. I, I like them. I've played them, and I'm sure many of our listeners have have played them. But I'm sure there's a lot of our people who who listen to us, um, all all five of them, um, <laughs> that uh, don't understand them the way <laughs> the way that we should understand them. I, Excuse me, I guess. Because uh, I know I look at a pinball game. Sorry, pinball machine. It's weird because we don't call them pinball games. We call them machines. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I put my money in, you know, which which used to be a quarter, of course, when I was a kid. But now I'm sure they're up to like $15 a play now. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a dollar a play or $2 for three plays. That's the value pricing model that they go by now. Wow, a dollar a play. Good Lord. Um, yeah, and and I, I I don't know about anybody else, but I'm sure there are people out there like me um, that uh, so I put my money in and uh, the ball comes out and I hit the plunger and I go and literally all I'm doing is just trying to keep that ball on the table as long as possible. I have no idea what I'm doing 
where I'm going, uh, what's going on. You know, literally, that's all I'm doing. I don't know anything about the story or anything. But listening to you talk over the years about pinball machines has has somewhat given me a better appreciation of how ignorant I am when it comes to these things. I hear you talk about them and you talk about, okay, the story on this one is blah, 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 blah. Or, you know, uh, you need to, you know, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to beat this game or I'm trying to, to do this. And I'm like, uh, I see a, I see a, I see a big ball bearing that I hit with the little bumper thingies. <laughs> so, so I, I'm going to ask you if you would, uh, when, when you approach a, a new pen, so you're going to get the Mandalorian in. let's, let's just go with that. It's star Wars. Everybody loves it. Uh, you're going to get the Mandalorian in and you look at the table and you're going to, you plug it in and all the lights come on. Where do you start? What do you, what do you do? So the, the first thing that you should do if you walk up to a new pinball machine, if you look on the apron, which is down below the flippers, uh, the ball drain is, you know, underneath this uh, apron, you'll see, you'll see a card on the left side and a card on the right side. The card on the left side will tell you how to play the game. It will tell you uh, if you want to go for a multi-ball, shoot your ball at this spot. If you want to start a mode, uh, you, then you shoot here and there. And then the uh, card on the right side, of course, should tell you what the price of to play is. Okay, so so there are actually instructions on a pinball machine. Yeah. Yes. See, I, I don't think I've ever actually read a set of instructions for a pinball machine. Well, I didn't even know that would be that would be a good place to start. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. You're telling me I have to read instructions before I play a game? Um, well, you know, for pinball machines, in order to get get the most out of, you know, the money that you're plunking in, you know, that, that would be a good place to start. And, of course, you know, I tell people, uh, when in doubt, shoot wherever there's flashing lights at on the table, and the table will do something. That's a... That's another thing uh, with me when it comes to these things. I'm I don't know. It, it's like it's like a sensory overload. You know, there's just so much coming in at you. I don't even half the time. I don't even register that there is a flashing light somewhere because uh, you've come up to me while I was playing one of your games before one of your machines, and uh, you're like, uh, "See this right here? Shoot over here!" And there's literally a blinking light right there in my face, and I did not register its existence until you. Until you pointed it out, <laughs> at all. right? It's, yeah, it's, so it, it can definitely be a bit overwhelming. Um, you know, there's definitely a level of focus that you have to get to, and you know, a lot of that, you know, stems from I think spending time on a table playing it, you know, and then learning, learning the shots, and then learning. Okay, so this does this when I make this shot, and you know, uh, a bit of repetition there. So, so part of it does come from just playing the game over and over and over and over again. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So is there any way I can just walk up to the, the, the owner of the establishment or the, the, the machine and just give them like, you know, $500 and say, uh, put my name in. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you could try. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I enjoy pinball games. I, I really do, especially the newer ones. Well, 
I'm going to take that back. I, I like the older ones as well for the, like mm-hmm. uh, nostalgia is not the right word because I never played them as a kid, but mm-hmm. I, I guess for the, I, I don't know what you would call it. Uh, for, I enjoy them for the history that they have, but I really <laughs> love the new ones yeah. for, you know, like all the technology they can bring to the table. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, the, uh, and believe it or not, the, you know, the, they have updated some aspects of the technology as far as like, you know, the, the computer boards and the driver boards that drive all the stuff underneath the play field. But, uh, when you get down to brass tacks, a pinball machine functions pretty much the same way they did, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Okay. How so? And the, uh, like the mechs, you know, for, you know, the slings and the pop bumpers and stuff like that, they have pretty much remained unchanged. So when you, when you say mechs, that's short for mechanisms. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because you say mechs, and like my head immediately goes to like BattleTech and Atlases and, and Mad Cats <laughs> right. and you know yeah. all that good stuff. But uh, yeah, so I was I was quite interested because uh, you've got several uh, at your workshop that are uh, uh, currently in various states of repair and disassembly, and 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 you've shown me the underside of the playfield. Uh, and mm-hmm. me being the, the, the nerd that I am, I, I love looking at the underside of that play field because it, it's just so fascinating to me because it's just wires and, and connections and, and, and uh, a few boards here and there. Of course, I, I think most of the boards, the actual circuit boards, are like behind the, the scoreboard marquee area, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a few – occasionally you'll have some PCB boards and stuff on underneath the play field. But, um, but I, I love looking at – how those mechanisms work. Cause you've got at least in my, my, my experience, three like classic mechanisms or hang on. I'm now versed in the lingo of the, the, the industry mechs. See, I can use that now. <laughs> I know. Uh, um, which is the, the bumpers, the, yeah. uh, the, 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 the ones that have the rubber band around them. <laughs> the, uh, those are the uh, slings, slings, is what they're typically called. Okay, and the the, the drop targets. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it's very interesting to see how those those mechs. See, I can I can use that now. Uh, work <laughs> and, and and operate because it's really interesting that they basically whatever the the ball hits an actuator, which which connects the electrical circuit, which fires the mechanism. Correct. Right. Yeah. So the, uh, you know, like we'll use the, uh, the slings, for example, whenever the ball hits the, <clears throat> hits the band and that band pushes in far enough, there's two leaf switches on either end of those slings. Whenever those leaf switches make contact, that, uh, completes the circuit and then the coil that drives the, drives the arm for that sling it will it will fire so to speak and it will activate that sling and it will shoot the ball you know over to the left to right or right to left or whatever yeah see i i look at these mechanisms and i can't help but visualize some nerd back in the 50s or whatever 60s whenever 
pinballs, I don't know, were kind of quote-unquote unquote invented. I know it wasn't a like a hard time. It was kind of an evolution. But just had a bunch of electrical devices, just electrical switches and things. It's like, how can I use this in an extremely creative way? <laughs> right. So, you know? um, uh, I can give a pretty loose synopsis on the history here. I, uh, I want to be careful. I don't want to say anything apocryphal on your podcast, you know, obviously. Uh, um, well, so there's a tradition on Nerd Alert. Uh, we are going to take everything you say as 100% gospel. Uh, and you are, you are the foremost expert in the world on this subject that you are speaking on at the time. Nothing you say is wrong or inaccurate or apocryphal. And anybody else who says otherwise is, well, they're just wrong because Steve said it was this way. So you go for it. <laughs> so basically, pinball machines, they came they came out of uh what were what were called bingo machines okay um basically you plunge the ball the ball would go up to the top of a play area and then it would come down and there'd be holes in the play field with uh different point values and uh you would try to get the ball to land in one of these areas and score points and the really early ones, you had to keep track of your own score. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, um, from there, they evolved, they evolved into batting machines, which you would, uh, you'd have uh, a single flipper and, you know, it would send the ball straight down towards your flipper and then you would hit it. And, you know, the play field was kind of dressed up like, uh, a baseball field or whatever, and wherever you were able to hit the ball at and wherever it went into, you would score your points there. Okay. And then someone, I don't know who, I can't uh, I can't speak to that because I didn't have time to prepare for this, but uh, they uh, they said, let's add another flipper on the, on the uh, left side of the machine. And uh, that's where your traditional pinball that, we know and love today kind of came from. Okay. So, so yeah. So you just had this one guy who's like, you know, if one bat is fun, now go with me on this. Okay. Two bats might be twice as fun. Right. Let's add another bat. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I'm just and, crazy. And you, and you know what? He was right. I don't know. I can't speak to that because I've never played a game with one bat. So I, I, I don't know if two is better, is twice as much fun as one. Um, all I can attest to is that it's very frustrating and pinball machines apparently hate me. They, <laughs> they don't like me because I, 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 I do my little, you know, plunger thing and I, I, I send the ball way up into the top and it, it bounces around a bit and it comes back down and I hit it with the flipper. It goes straight up. It hits the first obstacle it can and it comes straight back down the middle. And I'm like, well, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, uh, as you play and you learn where you need to shoot on the play field, you can, you know, you learn how to catch and hold the ball and then say, okay, I need to shoot here next. And then, you know, it, then you figure out your angle and where on the flipper the ball needs to be uh, to shoot it in that direction. So that's kind of how that works. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been doing some research for the past little bit uh, on, on pinball 
to touch base on what you just said, um, because I've been I've been trying to develop a single player card slash board game simulation of pinball because I'm a nerd like that. And there's this whole thing of different shots. Like it's like, you know, you've got three quarter flipper, uh, three quarter shot, a half shot, like a tip shot. You've got a cradle, you've got a bounce pass. You've got all this, 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 this lingo and these techniques that the players use. And I was, I'm like, holy shit. People apparently have done a lot of stuff with this other than just doing me, which is, which is, ah, ball close, hit button quick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, there's certainly a lot of different techniques that you can learn and use. You know, I, uh, I'm still developing, uh, a lot of, a lot of the techniques myself. Yeah. So, well, so far, I think my favorite technique uh, is uh, neodymium magnets. Uh, you know, because you, you get a powerful right. enough magnet right there on that uh, on that glass, and yeah, you can you can pretty much hold that ball wherever you need to. Right. Uh, yeah, that that just kind of defeats the spirit of the game, though. Uh, you know. Well, I tell you what. So this actually brings me to a question: is I know I, I'm kind of like you. I, I don't. I'm not well versed in the history of pinball, but I do remember I, I watched a documentary once on on pinball machines, and they were talking about those early machines that they had and the people that put them, you know, out in uh, uh, soda shops and bars and cafes and what have you to, to you know for people. But the kids and the people that would come to play eventually realized that they could they could pick the table up. You know, level out that playing field, they could kind of control the ball wherever they went because it's not slanted anymore. And so the, the the people who developed the pinball machines and stuff eventually came with a, with a workaround for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, the uh, tilt mechanisms. The tilt mechanism, yeah, uh, which is very mm-hmm. interesting in how it actually works. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, so on most of your pinball machines, you know, your your tilt mechanism is just uh, just a copper ring and inside the copper ring sets a, uh, sets a pendulum with a weight on the end of it. And if you nudge or bump that machine too hard, you know, it'll make contact with that copper ring, complete circuit, and uh, boom, it'll give you a warning. And typically you get two tilt warnings uh, on a uh, machine per ball. And then on your third one, the machine tilts out, kills the machine your ball drains and then next player well that's just that's just rude <laughs> well you know it uh it certainly kept people from cheating and defeating the spirit of the game and you know that's uh that's what operators needed in order for the machines to uh, remain profitable in the early days yeah so you say cheating i say creative strategy Right. That's just me. But that's the brass tax is it's, you know, it's the, the profitability. You know, they, they want us to lose. So we pay more. <laughs> I think it's a conspiracy. But so my question or what actually popped into my head was, like I said, the people who designed the games or built the games, because back then, way back in the, the early evolutions, they weren't like mass manufactured. It was people. It was just like a few people 
literally hand building each machine and then putting it out. Uh, and they found a workaround. They, they, they figured out people were doing this and they, they added this mechanism. They invented it and they, they put it in. So has anybody like current manufacturers, I'm sure somebody out there has been using magnets to try and control the ball. Is there any kind of a, uh, a countermeasure, you know, in the machine to, for that? Or like if I actually wanted, yeah, yeah. Player using a magnet to control the ball. Um, I mean, I would as deep as the play field sets on modern play on modern pinball machines. Yeah. It would take, it would take one heck of a magnet in order to, you know, catch that ball and do what you want with it. So I've never known it to be an issue. I've never heard anyone discuss that. So see, now I want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're welcome to try on one of mine. I'm going to find a magnet that I can put on the glass on the top of that play field to snag that ball and then do what I want with it. Damn it. It's going to, it's going to have to be one hell of a magnet. I'm telling you. Okay, so here's what I need. I need okay. 37 feet of copper wire, four yacht batteries, uh, and an iron rod. An iron rod. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can do it, David. Well, you know, you can uh, you can make a uh, functioning weapon with uh, those types of. <laughs> Those types of things, so sure, why not? <laughs> I'll either be able to successfully rack up a high score on your game, or I will shoot the ball so hard it will become a small, uh, uh, like you said, a weapon. It'll become a projectile of deadly force. Mm-hmm. I don't know which. Hey, you, br- huh? you, you break it, you bought it. <laughs> oh, hell, we may need to rethink this. This uh... <laughs> We may need to rethink this plan, then. <laughs> um. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, uh, talking about the differences in, uh, old, old school games versus more modern games. Uh, one of the few that comes to mind is the only thing that I kind of have a comparison on is, is your games of the black Knight Cause you've got the black Knight and the new black Knight, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and they were, what's, what's the difference in age on those? Let's see. Black Knight was 1980 and let's see black Knight sort of rage. Uh, 2017, 2018, Holy I think. Hell. That's like almost 40 so, years. Um, the cool thing about uh, those tables, so there's actually three Black Knight tables. There's the original, there's uh, Black Knight 2000, and that was made in the early 90s, and then uh, the last one was Black Knight Sword of Rage. All three of those tables were made by the same person, and his name is Steve Ritchie. And he's a legend in the uh, pinball community as far as uh, designers go. Okay. So, um, so since we're since we're discussing Black Knight, I'm gonna I'm gonna nerd out here for a minute. <laughs> hey, it's called Nerd Alert. Nerd all uh, you want. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. Um, Black Knight was, it came out in, in 1980. It, uh, it, it was a table that really revolutionized the industry and brought things forward to kind of how we develop things now. Um, 
because it offered an upper and lower play field. It offered um, a magnet on either side of the outlanes. Um, it's called a magnet, magnet save, and it was a brand new feature. You know, no one had ever seen it before. And basically, you could uh, hit your magnet button to activate it, and if the ball was getting ready to drain out the outlane, it would catch the ball and drop it in the inlane instead. <clears throat> Let's see. Um, it also introduced the concept of flow. Now, to, uh, to illustrate that, uh, whenever you play a table, um, you'll, you'll hear people say, oh, this table has good flow. I really like it. What that means is, you know, your shots will typically go, you know, from left to right to left to right. And, uh, you know, it just, everything just kind of sequentially flows into itself. And that's, uh, he brought that, uh, to the, to the forefront with that table. So, um, but yeah, it, it did a lot of first. It broke, broke some records and, um, it, it really, it, it revolutionized the industry back in the uh, early 80s. Kind of like a flow is kind of like a feng shui of pinball then. Or, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess if you want to look at it like that. Um, now, now, now when you, of course, you know, you say flow and, and, and me being an old fart, I immediately think of the, the, the waitress from the TV show Alice. But uh, I thought you were going to I thought you were going to say the chick from the Geico commercial. <laughs> oh, that's right. Her name is Flo, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so. So, uh, see, I told you magnets were the key. You know, I mean, <laughs> old dude figured that out years ago. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of magnet use in pinball machines, so to speak. So. Oh, um, now you have you have Black Knight and Black Knight uh, Sword of Rage. Do 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 you not have two thousand? Because I haven't seen it. I do. Oh, I you do. do. Okay. It it is uh, it is in the shop and it will need to be uh, restored. So it is uh, patiently waiting its chance to uh, have that done to it. Well, well, why are you here talking to me then? You should be out there restoring this. Like right now, this is what you should be doing. Oh man, yeah. I uh, <laughs> let me tell you, this year I have been slammed with work. You know, obviously, and it's a good thing. But uh, yeah, I can I can barely keep up right now. Slammed so, <laughs> actually, while we're on the subject, uh, I mentioned at the beginning of this that you are the the owner operator of uh, Retro Tech <laughs> Industries, right? That's, 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 studios, 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 yep. industries. You know, and stuff like that. So, tell us about about this. What what is Retro Tech uh, Studio Industries? <laughs> so, Retro Tech Studios was born out of out of an idea that I had. Um, well, actually, it was born out of a hobby that I started ten years ago. Matter of fact, Facebook is. Sending me, hey, remember this from 10 years ago when I was restoring my very first cabinet, which was a Donkey Kong. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah so <laughs> to saw, date myself here just a little bit. Uh, I, saw, um, I saw the movie of that, uh, uh, the latest movie of that recently where, you know, Donkey Kong versus Godzilla. So. <laughs> yeah. Was Mario in there anywhere? 
Uh, he was actually, um, it's a cameo cause they're setting up the, uh, the, the, the Mario versus Donkey Kong movie. They didn't want him to be too much in the forefront. Yeah. If you'll notice, uh-huh. if you notice, there's a guy that's like on screen for like 17 seconds that has a red baseball cap and a little bit of an Italian mustache, which is weird because he's Asian. Uh, but it works, I guess. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, that, uh, yeah, I'll have to, uh, go and watch that movie. I haven't actually seen it yet. <laughs> it's okay. Neither have I. It's all right. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Back to retro tech. Go ahead. Yeah. So. I, uh, I was, you know, a hobbyist up until 2016, I guess, um, 2016, 2017. Uh, uh, and I got approached by a local bar, uh, here in my area and they, uh, they just messaged me one day out of the blue and they're like, Hey, do you work on arcade machines? And I'm like, well, uh, work on my own machines and uh you know we just started to have a conversation from there and uh you know next thing i know i'm you know working on their stuff and i'm just like you know what i can actually do something with this you know this is my passion this is my love and so it just kind of grew from there and so now the so you've grown this into a, a full fledged business. Like what, what all kind of services do you, do you offer? Or are you, are you available for people to reach out to you or? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you can check out my Facebook page, retro tech studios. Um, I do, <clears throat> let's see, I buy, sell and trade pinball machines. Um, I sell new ones. If that's something you might be interested in. Uh, let's see. I, uh, I do restoration work. Um, I do repairs, you know, I will come right to your house, uh, you know, or I'll bring them back to the shop and, you know, do it that way. However, whatever is convenient for you. And I can, I can confirm that I've seen you go over to a, a mutual friend of ours house and work on his, uh, oh crap. I can't remember the name of the machine now. Um, yeah, it was his, uh, Oh, uh, Frontline. Was it Frontline? I thought it was Sprint. Was it? Yeah, well, that was, that was another one of them that I worked on too, but the Frontline was the one that he called me on. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. you came over and you just blew his mind, man. I tell you what. Uh, for sure. Uh, now I I remember, so I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here. I'm on kind of my nerdiness. This was so many, many years ago. And I don't know if I've told you this story or not. Uh, my first apartment, you know, I was, hell, I remember how old I was, 19, 20, something like that. My first apartment, you know, um, moving out of the house. And, uh, so I, I got the apartment. I had no furniture or anything. And, uh, a friend of mine at work was like, Hey, I know this place down here that does auctions every Friday night, you know, of like furniture and stuff that he collects through the week. We should go down there and see if we can find you something for your apartment. I'm like, cool, let's do that. And, uh, so we went down and this was really nice stuff. I mean, this guy doesn't go, this guy or didn't, this, this has been, hell, what is it? It's 2021. Now this is hell 23 years ago now. 
this guy, he didn't go around to like junk and pick up junk. He went around to like the Amish community and picked up like the handmade shit. Okay. You know? Yep. So this stuff didn't, wasn't going cheap at all. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm like 19, 20 years old. I ain't got this kind of money. So I'm just, I got my little card cause I registered for the auction, but I'm just sitting there. And so finally he gets all the way around, you know, he's going around the warehouse for each item. He gets all the way around and he gets to an arcade cabinet that I had seen, but I had written off cause it's an arcade cabinet. You know, they're, they're not, it's not a cheap hobby to get into. It was a, it was a Karnov cabinet. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so he gets to it and he's like, I got this. It was donated to me. Um, it's getting a little bit of disrepair. I mean, you could see some wear and tear on the, the, the rubber around the, the edge and, and stuff. And he's like, it doesn't work, but I've got all the manuals for it. And so he opens the bidding and I can't remember what he opens the bidding at, but he opens the bidding and like nobody is bidding on this thing. Nobody. And it just keeps coming down. The price just keeps dropping. And finally, he's like, look, this isn't normally what I sell. I'm doing a favor for somebody just to get rid of it. He's like, it doesn't work and blah, blah, blah. Who'll give me 20 bucks for it? (laughs) (laughs) And so I raised my card. He's like, sold. So we get past that. (laughs) And I I go up at the end of the auction. I I pay for it and everything. And I'm like, that's cool. Now, how are we going to get to my my apartment? Because it's not going to fit in my Hyundai. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, Yeah, so he has he had a friend. He, he, he went and borrowed uh, my buddy. He went and borrowed his dad's trailer the next day, and we we came down, loaded up, took it to my apartment. So I, you know, I I know next to nothing about these things. It had the boards. I don't know. They're not working. I I got nothing to troubleshoot. What I wound up doing with this is I gutted the cabinet. Okay, well mm-hmm. I'll take that back. The first night I was I had the back open and I was looking at it and everything. This is my like first my first full night spending the night in my new apartment and I've got it plugged in and it's turned on. I'm looking at things and I've got a little multimeter and I'm just kind of testing some things. And I look down and the plug wires coming out, uh, are frayed and exposed (laughs) in a couple of places, you know? (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's not good. I should probably get those, uh, repaired either taped up or, or heat shrinked or something, you know, before something bad happens. So I kept doing it and I kept working as like, I'll get to it here in a second. And so I went to reach for something and I pushed the cord and I pushed those two wires together and, I, and there was a pop and it blew a breaker. It, it tripped a breaker in my apartment and it went completely pitch black. It was like one o'clock in the morning, <laughs> my first night in the apartment and I blow a breaker and I'm like, you know, I probably should have looked to see where the breaker panel is in the apartment. Because <laughs> I have no yeah. idea what that and, is. And we didn't have smartphones back then, so you couldn't just turn your flashlight on exactly. and go find it. Exactly, I did. Yeah, exactly. This this was ni- uh, this was nineteen ninety eight, I think. Yeah. And uh, so I, I found the breaker, of course, got it back on, and I, I fixed the plug. But what I wound up doing with the with the cabinet was I gutted it completely. And I found somebody who had an old television uh, that I could replace the monitor with, which basically the monitor at the time was the same thing as a CRT TV. Um, but, the, right. but, the yeah. C, but the CRT TV had the advantage of having um, user-friendly uh, outputs and inputs. 
you know, mm-hmm. whereas the, the monitor for the game was um, basically hardwired in. So I took the, took the boards out, replaced the plug and everything. Uh, and I, I took the monitor out and I dropped the, the TV in it and remounted all the marquee and stuff. Now the, the, the instructions or whatever, the, the, the graphics around the side of the monitor hid the television portion of it. Mm-hmm. So all you saw was the screen. Mm-hmm. And I took a Nintendo entertainment system and mounted it inside uh, the cabinet behind the, 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 the coin facing, you know, the, 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 yeah, coin, the coin, the coin door, the mm-hmm. coin door. Yeah. And, uh, so you could basically just put a cartridge, you open up the coin door, put a cartridge in, blah, blah, blah. And you would turn it on. And it was just a, it was just a Nintendo mounted inside of a arcade cabinet. But what I was really proud of myself was I opened up, I had a Nintendo, I had an NES advantage. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I opened that thing up and I noticed that, so that controller, much like the controller on the cabinet was basically just a, a rocker switch that hit different, uh, leaf switches, mm-hmm. you know? So, you, so if you, if you push the, the controller up, then the bottom of it rocked down and, and hit that leaf switch that was at the right. bottom and, and that told it that thing. And the Nintendo, the NES advantage was pretty similar technology. It, it was literally just kind of like that on a shrunken version. So, so I, I mapped out all where all the connections were. Uh, I, I, I cut the cords inside, pulled the cord off the NES advantage and soldered them to the connections for the control panels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just plugged it into the NES. So I, 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 that I was quite proud of. I was like, Hey, I look at, look at what I did. It, it's extremely simple, but damn it. I'm proud of it. Hey, look at you. Doing your own uh, mod work, you made uh, you made a, your own Play Choice Ten. <laughs> I don't know what a Play Choice Ten is, but yeah, I did. <laughs> so, um, uh, the Play Choice Ten is a system that Nintendo made in the late eighties, and uh, basically, you uh, you played NES games on this system, um, and it came in a full size cabinet. Um, they made a few different versions of it. I've owned, uh, let's see, they did the uh, dual monitor, single monitor, and the countertop version. And I, I currently own a single monitor uh, cabinet. I've owned the countertop, had that for a while, ended up selling it when the market for that got absolutely ridiculous uh, as far as pricing goes. But, uh, yeah, basically it's a Nintendo uh, on the circuit board and then you plug uh up to 10 game cartridges in them now they're not cartridges the way that we think of them they're just uh pcb cards that plug into these different slots yeah and uh you would put money in and the money would give you time on a counter and in the time that uh, you had you could play any of those 10 games as much as you wanted ah and they were all Nintendo Entertainment System uh, NES specific releases. Yeah, so so kind of like uh, an NES with ten cartridge slots and a and a pay to play timing mechanism on it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the, the old NES cartridges were basically just a a, a, a a PCB card inside a plastic case. Right. Yeah. Um, 
most people, if they've never seen inside of the uh, cartridge, yeah, all it is is just a uh, just a little PCB with some EPROMs on it and a few other uh, chips that do various things. Yeah, so. uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, because if you look inside the NES, uh, literally when you insert that cartridge into the NES, that that PCB just engages the the the, the connector slot, and, mm-hmm. and at that point, it the connection is made. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you don't even have to, you don't have to push it down. Um, well, if you have a system that you replaced that, uh, 72 pin connector that those cartridges plug into, yeah. um, they're made so tight and so snug that you don't have to. Now, back in the day, you did have to push it down. Oh, the I... fate, the fatal flaw with that is, you know, as we all well know, over time, those connections would widen out to the point that they wouldn't connect. And then when you go to turn your NES on, you get the flashing screen. And then, you know, Nintendo, they were like, oh, your cartridges are dirty. You got to clean them, blow in them, blah, 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 blah. So that's why, you know, everybody is blowing the cartridges. It doesn't work. Oh, I remember blowing those cartridges all the time. Oh God! I, I do too. I remember. <laughs> I remember. But you know what? Huh? But you know what? I uh, I eventually said screw it, and I got a Game Genie, and it, that the uh, connector on that, the edge connector on that, was just so big that it just forced into those uh, <laughs> pins, and it worked every time, regardless. Ah, see, I never had a Game Genie. I remember blowing in the cartridges to try and get the. De- the the mysterious debris that was uh, making my games not work get get out of there. And I remember sometimes you could like wedge a piece of paper in to like give a little tension mm-hmm. on the cartridge that would make yeah. them work. But then I discovered the wondrous chemical known as isopropyl alcohol. <laughs> oh yeah. A Q-tip not, and isopropyl alcohol. Do not alcohol. submerge your games in isopropyl alcohol. <laughs> well, not submerge, but a Q-tip rubbed over that connection. By God, it worked about 95% of the time. Well, sure. You're uh, you're using liquid as a medium exactly. <laughs> to make those connections. I was 12 at the time. I didn't know. Nobody knew. And, you know, here's the thing. Nintendo, they... they they designed the NES to not look like a game console because they knew, you know, with the uh, with the market crash in '83 that happened, if they came over here and said, "Hey, here's a video game system," retailers wouldn't buy it, consumers wouldn't buy it. All confidence in that market was shot at that time. So they came over and they designed it, you know, kind of look like a VCR, act like a VCR or something. And this is not a video game system. This is an entertainment system. And look, here is Rob, the robot operating buddy that <laughs> works with this system. Isn't this neat? Well, I can't blame them. I mean, first of all, they're trying to make money. Second of all, they weren't wrong. I was entertained. I was highly entertained. Oh, it was a brilliant, brilliant way to break into the North American market, especially after the crash. Oh, man. they uh, Yeah, they, they hit the nail on the head there. They hit a slam dunk home run. I mean, I, I remember, I remember playing Mario, you know, on the NES. I remember being excited when Mario Two came out. 
Um, mm-hmm. Because you had all kinds of other characters you could play, not just Mario and Luigi, you know. And then Mario Three came out, uh, and and we were all very happy and excited because we went to see the Wizard and we got to see a preview of Super Mario Brothers Three, which is the only <laughs> reason we went to see the Wizard in the first damn place. Oh yeah, because the movie was terrible. <laughs> I don't know about terrible. It's very eighties. It was. Uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Fred, the kid, yeah, Fred Savage. Fred Fox. Or Fred Savage, yes. Red Fox, what am I thinking of? <laughs> I don't know, I think you took a mashup of Red Fox and Fred Savage. And, that could very possibly be. And now I'm going to I'm gonna approach an artist friend, friend of mine and see if he can actually draw that mashup for us. Oh God, that's some nightmare fuel. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it is what it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely, but... Yeah, I mean Nintendo, man. They uh, they were smart. They knew what they were doing, and uh, you know I think they dominated like eighty percent of the uh, video game market in the world at that time. Yeah, at their at their height during that eight bit era. Yeah, yeah. And then Sega came along and said, "Yeah, we do what Nintendo don't with our Genesis and our blast processing." <laughs> I, I remember when Genesis came out, everybody was wanting a Genesis. You know, it became it. If anything could dethrone the NES, it was the Genesis. <laughs> well, you know, they uh, they stole a good chunk of Nintendo's market share during the 16-bit era, um, and they could have continued to have done well, but. They just made a lot of stupid mistakes, you know, with uh, making add-ons for add-ons for the Genesis, you know, trying to keep that system alive while they were developing the Saturn. And then the Saturn was rushed out the door. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't optimized correctly and nobody knew how to code for it. And at that time, PlayStation or Sony came out with the PlayStation and just wrecked Sega's shit. Yeah. Well, you know, Sega Genesis did its thing, but it, I agree. It lasted. It, it tried to hang on way too long because they didn't really have an option. Um, and I don't even remember the Saturn. I'll be honest, but I mean, you know, PlayStation came out, um, uh, after that, and uh, I think by that time, uh, NES had already gone to the SNES. Had we got to the N64 by the time PlayStation was around? Uh, the N64 came in 96 or 97. So, like, all I remember about the, 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 the N64, and, and I've pl- I never had one. Uh, I played a bunch of friends' ones. Was It was the shittiest controller that was ever designed for a video game. <laughs> I hate well, that. Yeah, the... Uh, so that, from what I understand and what I've heard on podcasts in the past, um, the N64 was basically designed... The controller was designed to play Mario 64 the best that it could. And that's where you got the analog joystick and... You know the three the three handles on it, and yeah, um, I didn't think it was a terrible controller. I've certainly used worse, but you know uh, that's that was where that controller came from. That was the 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 mindset that that controller come from. Yeah, I couldn't stand it. Um, Chris, of course, I never owned one. I, I played a few games, like a 
uh, that friends had, uh, like F zero, I think was one. I don't know if I ever played the Mario game for that, for that one, but, uh, one game that I played quite a bit of was, uh, Goldeneye. Oh uh, yeah. And everybody yeah, you... loves this game, but I hated that game. I hated the controller. It was sluggish. It overcompensated. Like I would go to turn and I would turn past my target and then try to have to turn back. And I just, I got, I hated it. Did you ever play four players split screen Goldeneye? Yes, I did. And it was annoying man. as shit. Oh man. I remember. Yeah. The, after high school, that was some of my fondest memories was playing four, four players split screen Goldeneye with my buddies. Yeah. See my, my thing with that was, um, uh, give me, uh, um, uh, when it came to, to multiplayer, give me, uh, doom on PC. That's where I oh, was, yeah. you know, well, well, you know, you know, first person multiplayer, uh, first person shooters, they're always going to be superior on PC with the keyboard and the mouse, you know, set up. Yeah. Because you got more fine control with the mouse for aiming and, well, I, I, um, I don't know if always uh, I, at one point I would have agreed with you that console would never, never be able to um, uh, supplant PC. But I mean, PS4, PS5, even Xbox, they've, they've done very well. Um, and with the, with, with the, cause you do have some tuning control that you can do on most games with your sensitivity and stuff. And then, of course, mm-hmm. if you're really, really hyper competitive, you've got the, the 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 aftermarket pro controllers you can get and such. So, oh yeah, well, you know, one of my favorite controllers still to this day is uh, the Xbox One Pro controller, just because you could tear that thing down and put you know different thumbsticks on it, and you could control the throws of your triggers, and yeah, I mean that that controller was just fantastic. Um, I, I don't know. I, 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 I liked them uh, quite. I've never really used it. The only pro controller I've ever bought was the one for my switch. And that's cause I got really tired of using the actual switch controllers. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a big fan of the joy cons, but it is what it is. Uh, yeah. I don't know. We kind of got off the subject of pinball and onto, onto consoles and stuff. That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Um, that's all right. Anyway, um, I, I I think we're we're getting close to the end of our our time here. Uh, is there anything else you would like to 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 chime in on on the world of pinball machines or or uh, retro tech gaming in general? Um, you know, to uh, to all the listeners out there, um, there are plenty of places that you know uh, have. You know, lots of pinball machines, you know, some have, you know, your current releases. You can look up online. You, there are actually maps dedicated to people going on and searching out locations that have games. And they're usually kept up and are fairly accurate up to date. So, um, you know, go out and play pinball, learn pinball and, uh, if you have a pinball machine in your basement that's been sitting there for years and years and you uh, keep telling yourself, one day I'm going to get this fixed and, you know, that day has come or you think it's going to come soon, you know, uh, 
look us up on Facebook and uh, send us a message. We'll uh, we'll be more than happy to come out and take a look and get you going. Yeah, by all means. Yeah, hop on Facebook and uh, and and look up. Uh, what is it on Facebook? What would they have to just search for? Is it just straight retro tech in uh, with the studios? Um, uh, yeah, just re- just retro tech studios. Mm-hmm. Okay, all, all one word, lowercase, be fine. Um, well, it's retro tech and then studios, so two words. Oh, I see. So it's it's retro tech by itself and then space studios. Okay, correct. Uh, not yeah. industries like I keep saying because I'm a dumbass. Uh, <laughs> right. But uh, <laughs> you didn't have to agree so quickly. Uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> hey, I've known you long enough. <laughs> Very true. Very true. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yes, uh, by all means, look Steve up if you have anything. Uh, go find him on Facebook. He'll drive all the way out to California if he has to. Hell, he'll drive to Europe if he has to. I've seen him do it before. It's impressive <laughs> as hell. Uh, I'll, take, I'll take that new fancy bridge they just built. <laughs> <laughs> all right, anyway, so we're going to hop off here. Uh, thank you all for joining us uh, on this week's episode of Nerd Alert, uh, a proud member of the Talk Nerdy to Me podcast network um please uh feel free to look us up on facebook and instagram and twitter at tn the number two m podnet and check out our other great podcasts until next time Oh,